Father, we thank you and we worship you, God, and we honor you. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that your presence is real. Thank you, Father, that it's powerful, very tangible. Lord, I thank you that you have given us a longing for your presence. It's a type of an addiction. David even said that he laid on his bed through the watches of the night, longing for you. Father, I feel like so many of us have touched that. We thank you, God, that we gather here this morning in the presence of a very real God. Thank you that you're not distant. Thank you that you're not calloused and uncaring about our needs and where we are. And Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and the intimacy that we have with you. Help me this morning to be able to minister and bless your people. Father, let them be aware of Jesus. Let them love Jesus, Father, and let them receive from Jesus what he wants to give them today because I know that you care so much and I know your compassions are stirred up for your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to read with me in Genesis chapter 1, please. I'm, I'm intending to go to three scriptures this morning. Genesis 1, 2 Samuel 12, and Hebrews 10. So if you would follow with me in these regards, I would really appreciate it. I want you to see God's word with me, um, that God would speak to us by his word. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said. And I just want us to pause there, and I want to speak to you about a few things. One of the things that really stands out to me, and I've always been attracted to the book of Genesis it's always appealed to me just to see God's handiwork and God's authority to be able to speak into existence things that were not there. One of the things that has moved me even this week is that God would even present in Genesis 1 the fact that there was this moment in his creation where there was void and darkness. And I was just really considering that. Why would it an inventor exposed the maybe the ugliness of his project. Most of the time when artists are drawing or inventors are inventing, they wait before they uncover their invention or they demonstrate it or display it. They only show you the finished work, the the beautiful painting, the perfect sculpture, or if it's some technological advancement. They uncover it only after all of the defects and the deficiencies have been cleaned up. And now they present you just perfection in their mind. This is what they created. But God, however, is expressing to us in Genesis chapter one, a situation and a condition in his creation where there was darkness and there was void in, in the creation. And I thought, wow, that's, that's really astounding that God would purposely do that in his writing. So he, did, so he didn't pull the blanket off, if you will, and say, look at that. Just 
absolute fantastic, you know, moves the blanket and there are people moving about a beautiful earth with birds flying through the air and the animals on the ground and the fish swimming through the sea. None of that was there. None of that was there. And I, was, I thought it was just interesting as God expresses this, that the earth is without form and there's void and there's darkness. And I think there's a reason God has done it this way. And I, I believe it's a beautiful reason that God has done it this way. And I pray that it will help you. Do you ever feel like in your life that your life has no meaning? And it's probable that some of you, if not many of you, oftentimes feel that way. When you look at your life, you look at your life as a parent. You look at your life as a laborer. I could look at my life as a pastor. And we could look at all of the ways that we failed. We could look at all of the things that we didn't do. If we could remember when we were young at the dreams that we had, the life that we were going to live, and then compare that to the life that we actually lived. And maybe sometimes we come into some moments of our life where we just feel like my life has no meaning. I don't feel like I have any purpose. I have nothing to offer. You just, that is laying up in your bed, if you will, and you're kind of just laying there with the sense of no purpose, the sense of no point to my life. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been overwhelmed with depression so greatly that you didn't want to get up out of bed and face a particular day or a situation in your life. Sometimes it makes you wonder if God is even against you. You've prayed to God. You've sought the Lord. You've certainly asked for his help. But it just seems as though God's not there. And it seems as though the devil kind of enters in. And the devil just typically begins to celebrate your defeat. You're nothing. You're worthless. You're empty. You're meaningless. Even the best thing that you could ever do is not good enough. Nobody recognizes you. Nobody understands you. How could you live your life like this? How could you live in such a way? Everything around you is emptiness. You feel, you feel empty. You feel all of your accomplishments in life are empty. And you look back, especially if you are afforded the opportunity to look back in life at the things that you could have had and the things that you actually have. There are three things in Genesis 1 through 2 that I want to, or, or 1 through 3 that I want to stand out and then I'm going to talk to you for just a few minutes. And one is God wants you to know that he's a creator. I know I've shared this with so many of you before, but I want to remind you of this, that God is a creator. The second thing that I want you to understand is the movement of the Holy Spirit. You have to have the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the third thing that I want you to understand is the importance of faith. The importance of the fight of faith, that you will literally fight for your faith. And the reason I bring faith out of this, it's particularly verse 3, because it says, and God said. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so I want to draw out that to your life right now. And I want to speak to those of you that might be in a situation of your life when it feels like God is against you. 
It just doesn't seem like God is there. You're losing purpose. You feel empty and you don't believe there's a lot of meaning to your life. Oh, you've got stuff to do, but it's not important. And so I want to speak to you about this first of all. And I really want to come to the point this morning of how to fight for your faith. I really want to talk to you about that. But before I can get to that, I want to bring you your attention to this incredible truth that God wants you to know right from the very start of everything that God creates. He is a creator. And when we look in Genesis chapter 1, that the earth and the heaven and the condition that it is, it is void. It is without form. And there's darkness that is just filling the creation of God. And I'm not going to get into particular, you know, predated creationist type thoughts and beliefs or arguments that people have. But the thing that I want you to understand that I believe is so important is that in the situation of Genesis 1 through 3, nothing can live in that environment. In order for God to produce anything good, in order for God to produce life, in order for God to create man and give man the ability to thrive and survive, God has to change the void, the darkness, and the meaninglessness that is there. And before God does anything, he begins to bring order out of the chaos, if you will. He begins to bring light into the darkness And I want you to understand that literally days go by before God even creates the man and puts the man into the creation that God has created. So please listen to me because I believe this is valuable for your life. We are the only creation that God has made that God demands from us faith. He has not created or positioned any other particular part of his creation To be in relationship with him on that basis, only man. Man is to believe in God. Man is to hear God. And I say that to you. It It is of the greatest importance that you align yourself up to God in relationship that you can hear him. Jesus said that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. No doubt some of you, if not many of you, have been through situations in your life When we call these the dark seasons of our life, you wouldn't have made it through had God not spoken to you. And though God has brought us through a particular hardship or trial, it seems as though the very next one that we enter into is going to be the one that defeats us. It's going to be the one that destroys us. This is the straw that breaks the camel's back, if you will. And in that moment of our life, it is desperation for us to hear God just as it was in the past when we had to hear God in the previous night season of our life. And before God will even, if you will, begin to create these wonderful blessings and these thrivings of life in you, God has to begin to speak into the chaos He has to speak into the darkness. He has to speak into the meaninglessness of our life. And right there is where it's so hard for us as Christians and so hard for us as believers to hear God. 
We're going through a very difficult trial in our life. It seems to be an unending season. It seems to be no hope in sight. There's no light at the tunnel. And we think we're never going to get out of this. What we want to do, what we want God to do, is we want to close our eyes and say a prayer. And we want to open our eyes and everything is different. Everything is the way that we want it to be. My life is an absolute Complete order, full of meaning and full of purpose right now. But according to the record of creation, you have got to walk with God as he begins to change your emptiness into fullness. There is a process when we're walking around with sackcloth upon us, with mourning in our life. There is the process. It doesn't say that that just in a second's time that you're transformed into that joy. But there is the process of taking off the garment of mourning and putting on the garment of praise. There's a transitional period of time that God is walking you through. And that's where you have to have the fight of your faith. You have to be there and you have to watch God as he begins to speak in absolute hopelessness of your life where you have no meaning. Maybe you're elderly. Maybe you think, you know what, I've lived my best days. And so it really wouldn't even matter right now what God did in my life because most of my best days are over. You have no idea when God begins to speak the incredible purposes that he's about to bring about in your life. But you've got to wait upon God to do that. And he's going to change the, the, the meaninglessness into purpose. And he's going to change the void into fullness. And he's going to change the darkness into light. He's a creator. And, and the way God creates is he speaks things into existence that are not there. He doesn't create like we do. Where we find a good couple of pieces of things and we begin to think, how can these things operate together? And if I put this together with this together and then I add this to that, then, then maybe this will begin to lift me up. God speaks it out of nothing. And so right now you might be in the midst of nothing. There's no direction for my life. There seems to be no calling on my life, no purpose in my life. There's nothing underway for me. I've got no connections. I've got no way to advance, but it's not a a matter of you putting things together. It is a matter of God just willing to speak on your behalf. And when God speaks, he creates something that's not there. And when God creates that, he creates that with the purpose of order and blessing and thriving of your life. And I pray that you will understand it because sometimes when we're living in that moment where it seems as though even God is against me, that we're tempted to throw the towel in and, and maybe even give up on God, if you will. We're just not going to believe for this anymore. It's too painful. It hurts. It's, it's not in the coming. I'm, I, I, it's, it's, just, it's better left alone than even hoping for it. And even Sarah and Abraham struggled with that. God, we're, we're 25 years into this, Lord. And we're both so old now that our bodies are beyond the ability to reproduce children, God. It's okay. And God says, no, I spoke to you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fulfill this in your life. It's not a matter that your body can do it. It's a matter that God says it. And if we can let God speak into our life, if God, if, if, if God can say it, but it is imperative you hear him. Because that's how faith comes and you are required as a human being to have faith in God. And whatever's not of faith is sin. 
And so it is, it is so important that we have that. This darkness of creation speaks of misery and destruction and death and sorrow. Nothing can live here unless God does something. And maybe that's where you are. Nothing can live here. I can't even live here anymore if God doesn't do something. Am I speaking to somebody? I need God to do something so desperately, so badly. Well, let me tell you what you need to do right now. And this is even for your faith. You need to invite the Holy Spirit to move on you. If the voice of God is to be creative in your life. It is imperative right now that you allow the Holy Spirit to move on your life. As I said, it is required of humans to have faith in God for whatever is not of faith is sin. It is also imperative for us to understand that we're the ones who can grieve the Holy Spirit and quench the Holy Spirit and resist the Holy Spirit. There are three things that are talked about in the new covenant that we are not to do to the Holy Spirit. Don't resist him. Don't quench him. Don't grieve him. And so I say that to to those of you this morning that are here and you need God to really speak into your life. You're you're just not going to make it. You just feel like it's falling apart. Beloved, I'm going to tell you something. You You could have done everything you could to get to church and you could still be resisting the Holy Spirit. You can still be quenching him. You can still be in, in, a, in a place where he's being grieved because he's wanting so much to, to reach out and touch your life. You've got to allow him. You've got to invite him to do that. You've got to open up your heart. You've got to open up that void, that meaninglessness, that darkness, so that the Holy Spirit can begin to move. Because this is, this is the movement of God. Upon that creation in Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit began to move. And it was not until the Holy Spirit began to move that God would speak. And when God would speak in agreement, the Holy Spirit would begin to move. We see a very similar thing in in, in Mark chapter 16, even about the ministry of the gospel. They went and preached the word of God and the Holy Spirit worked with them. And the Holy Spirit always works with the word of God. And so I believe that even now, God speaking into your life, there is the desire of the Holy Spirit to move upon your life. I read something from... um, T. Austin Sparks, not long ago, and I love this guy. He's, I'm sorry, this is A.B. Simpson, and, and I love this guy, and it was really a blessing what he said. And I want to read this to you. Listen to this carefully. There, the greatest things are always hedged about by the hardest things. And we too shall find mountains and forests and chariots of iron. Hardship is the price of coronation. Triumphal arches are not woven out of rose blossoms and silken cords, but the hard blows and the bloody scars. The very hardships that you are enduring in your life today are given by the master for the explicit purpose of enabling you to win your crown. Do not wait for some ideal situation, some romantic difficulty, some far away emergency. 
but rise to meet the actual conditions which the providence of God has placed around you today. What you face today is the battle for your crown. What you face today, not tomorrow, not on some distant mission field, but what you fight right now in your life, if it's a sickness, if it's a financial situation, if it's spiritual dryness and coldness, this is your battle. This is the fight for your crown, your coronation. There's a passage in the book of Revelation. Jesus speaks to one of the churches and he says, let no one steal your crown. I want to live in such a way that no one steals my crown. No devil steals my crown that I've run through life and I fall aside at the end and give up. And Lord knows the temptations are there for every one of us. Simpson continues and he says this, your crown of glory lies embedded in the very heart of the things that you're facing now. Those hardships and trials that are pressing you this very hour of your life are the means of your crown. Don't desire another battle. Don't wish that you could have another situation. Don't pray that you could have some other kind of contest in your life for the proving of your faith. This contest that you're in is the one that God has divinely provided and prepared you for. This is the one that you're guaranteed to win if you fight the fight of faith and you let the Holy Spirit move on you. God will do his part. God will give you the grace. God will be the creator. God will bring it about. He'll create something out of nothing. That is not your business. Your business is to receive the Holy Spirit and hear God speaking into your life. That's your business. And then you have to walk in what he said, even when it's so hard. And everybody tells you you're a fool to do it. You've got to do it. The hardest things are not those the world knows of. Down in your secret soul unseen and unknown by any but Jesus, there is a little trial that you would not dare mention to anyone. That is harder for you than martyrdom. And how many of you have not said, I would rather die than fight this? And sometimes, and I'm not talking about suicide, but dying a martyr's death Longing for the rapture to come because I don't want to face another hard day is what we mean by that. But this is the conflict that I'm in to give testimony to the glory of God. And perhaps, and I don't think it's wrong to maybe if the book of Acts is still being written, then maybe your testimony will be in that book in the Chronicles of Heaven how you stood, how you believed, how you endured when you wanted to quit. And, and who doesn't want to quit? Who doesn't? The secret battles of your soul. People come and they ask you, how you doing? You okay? And you give them as much as you can. I'm all right. I'm tired. It's been a tough week. It's been a tough year. 
run hard. I'm all right. You're, you're telling them what you can. You give them hints. But down in your soul, you're fighting things. Darkness. Emptiness. Meaninglessness. Failure. Worthlessness. What can ever come out of my life? You're fighting things like that down in your soul that you, you, you don't express to people. You, and you may not even know how to put those things into words. I was with the pastor in Oklahoma last weekend. Beautiful church, beautiful man. I look forward to our ongoing relationship as churches. It's a new church for us to meet. But he was talking to me last week and he said, um, young guy, we're just talking about the ministry and everything like that. He said, do you know anywhere to run? I knew exactly what he was talking about. I said, I have discovered many places, but the grace of God won't let me. I've always said to you, I'd love to just get a job at Walmart and hand out shopping carts. I've been rebuked by that. Thank you. I said, Lee, you know you would not like to walk, work at Walmart. You say a golf pro shop. Okay, I'll work in a golf pro shop. He said to me that there was a, he's, he's in the Assemblies of God and they sent this out. I think they sent this out to their district pastors, just kind of helping them because, and even here, I was meeting with some local pastors this past week and they said, so many churches are closing. They're closing all over our city. And this pastor got this from his district office and, and, and it was the story and, and there was research done on this situation because it was so severe. And the story was that a pastor made arrangements, and took a well-needed vacation. I suppose it was some time since he had just gotten away. And so he finally arrived at his vacation spot, and he slept the night, slept fine, slept very well. He got up the next morning to fix himself coffee, and the coffee was dripping, and when the coffee had finished dripping, he went to grab the coffee pot, if this were the handle, and they said he was shaking so badly, he he had trouble grasping the coffee pot handle. The cup in his other hand began to shake, and he was trying to pick the coffee pot up, and his whole body began to shake from his head to his feet. He was just shaking and, and shaking like, and he just braced himself on the counter while he's shaking, and he thought, this is going to subside. And it didn't. It didn't subside. He just continued to shake. And, and so he called the emergency. The, the ambulance came. They took him. They brought him to the hospital. He didn't understand what was going on with him. And they brought him into the emergency room and they sedated him. They did tests on him. And, and all of his vital signs were fine. Everything seemed to be okay with him. And they brought him in. And after all of the tests they ran, the specialist said, you have the most severe case of PTSD we have ever seen. We have treated, and they, they went on to do research with this pastor, and, they, and in the research that they did, and they started to do it with other pastors, and I don't know if you know this, but it's very difficult for pastors to get health insurance because we have such a dangerous job. Go figure. And, um, and so they're, they're doing this, 
they're doing these studies on this pastor. They started studying some other pastors. Well, this particular pastor, they came to find out that his PTSD would have been likened unto a, to a man who went into one of the most difficult war situations, watched his whole platoon die, and he survived, and he came home from it. And he felt like every death was his fault. And while he was in the conflict and fighting, he was, he was just dealing with it and going. But when he chose to vacation and relax and let his guard down, all of that began to surface and it troubled him. The significance was, he, I think he said there was about 180 people through his ministry that he lost. 180. Some died. Some walked out on him. Other problems would come. He experienced a couple of church splits. And he felt in himself that everything was his fault. I get that. I get that. I, I, you get that in, in, in the things of your life as well. You get that. You know what that is. Those are the things that are deep down in the soul that you battle and you fight. You want to quit. You want to hide. It's meaningless. It's purpose. It's without purpose. There's void. It'd be better off without me or something. Now, I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you some of the battles that we fight. You do as well. I'm not the exception. You all fight this. You all deal with these things in your life. There are two things that I covet. I would probably say more than anything else in my life. This is a little secret about me that I don't say a lot. I'm going to say it tonight, today. I am so needy to feel a desperation for the Holy Spirit's help in my life. I, I am extremely desperate for him. And I'm not talking about for ministry. I'm just talking about for life. I'm desperate for I really am. I, I, this isn't anything special about me. I just think it expresses how, how weak and unable I am. But, but I'll wake up every morning and I was just like, I can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. Please, please be with me. Come to me. I've got nothing but you. I've got no one but you. Please. And I'll, I'll just lay on my bed and just pray and believe and, and, and intercede for the Holy Spirit to be there. And the second thing is I'm terrified in my life. Since, since I was seven years old and I sat in an assembly of God church and I experienced the presence of God like I never experienced in my life. From that moment on, I'm terrified of not realizing God's presence with me. That haunts me to be able to be in a situation of life, whatever it may be, and not be aware of God's presence with me. And I, I long for him and I need him so desperately like that. And I'm just simply saying that because I think I know what I talk about at least a little bit when I say I really need the Holy Spirit to move on me. 
And beloved, I believe you need the Holy Spirit to move on you because I'm going to tell you something. The devil is sure going to force himself on you. And the Holy Spirit's going to be gentle. Jesus said the Holy Spirit blows like a wind. And he wasn't talking like it's some ferocious hurricane kind of a wind, but just seems like, you know, you don't know from whilst it comes, you know, because it's not like this hurricane force coming out of the Gulf, but the wind just blows where it will. And, and that's how the Holy Spirit moves. He's that gentle breeze of the Lord. And when God met with Elijah, he wasn't in the thunder and he wasn't in the, the wind and he wasn't in the earthquake, but he was in the gentle, the tender, the, the, the whisper of God's voice. And that's the way the Holy Spirit moves, but the devil comes in like a bull in a china cabinet. He comes aggressively. He attacks your thoughts. He attacks your heart. He tells you to end it all. He tells you to throw in the towel. He tells you that you're no good. He tells you that God doesn't love you. He tells you that God is against you. And I will hear that voice all day long if I don't have the Holy Ghost. And I promise you, I'll believe him. I'll begin to agree with the devil. But praise God, the Holy Spirit is the faithful friend who is always there. It's not like I need him to come. The wind is blowing. I just need to receive him in my life. Can't bear the thought of a cold heart towards God. And not that I've never had it. I just can't bear to live with it. So I say the last thing to you this morning. And you got to have the fight of faith. You're not going to hear God without the Holy Spirit. So even if you're just reading your Bible and you're going through the motions, please listen to me. I love you guys. Even if you're just reading your Bibles every day, unless he's speaking to you from his word, you're not going to hear him. You're going to pick out another scripture And you're going to fast and pray that scripture for the next week and still nothing happens. And you're going to be confused and the devil's going to come back aggressively again, like he always does. You've got to have the Holy Spirit in order to hear God. And when you hear God, you've got to have the Holy Spirit to stand on that word unmovable and unshakable. I'm going to believe you, God. If I die, I'm going to believe you. Praise God. In Hebrews chapter 11, they didn't just talk about the people who raised the dead. And praise God in Hebrews chapter 11, they didn't just talk about the people of great faith who won their battles and turned armies to flight and parted the rivers and fought the lions and the beast with great victory. Praise God, it talks about people in Hebrews 11 who literally died for their faith, who believed for the promise but never obtained it in this life, but they've died believing it. Praise God for that because I'm going to believe the word of God even if I die believing it. I'm going to stand upon that word and believe God and walk through it. Believing God is true and God is faithful and God is good. I'm going to believe that. I'm going to confess that. I'm going to preach that. I'm going to preach it to myself all the time. So to fight the fight of faith, I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel 12. I want to read this. Just a few verses from this chapter about David's life. Verse 20. Some of these things I know I've shared with some of you. But it's good to hear it again. 
2 Samuel 12, 20. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house and when he required, they set bread before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what thing is this? What are you doing? Why did you fast and weep for the child while the baby was alive? But when the child was dead, you rise and you eat. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Shall I go to him and he shall not return to me? I'll go to him. He will not return to me. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her and lay with her. And she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. I think about this story. I think about a lot of stories about the fight of faith. I think about Mary and Martha. When their brother was sick and they asked Jesus to come heal him and Jesus didn't come heal him. And Jesus let him die. Jesus didn't go to the funeral. What kind of friend is that? What kind of love is that? Not only was he just a couple of miles from you while he was sick, you were just a couple of miles away when we had to bury him and you didn't even come. You weren't doing anything. And, and there wasn't anything recorded that Jesus was doing. But he didn't come to the funeral. After Lazarus was in the grave for four days, Jesus shows up. He asked for Mary and Martha. They come outside to meet him. And Jesus tells them to roll the stone away. I can only imagine the accusations. I can only imagine the voice of the devil and maybe the, the mockery of people that were around. Why are you listening to this guy? He didn't come while he was sick. He could have been here in a couple of hours. But he didn't come while he was sick. He didn't come to the funeral. And Martha and Mary, you're going to roll a stone away for this guy? Thank God they didn't throw their faith away. And Mary and Martha confronted with the resurrection and the life because they believed it, rolled the stone away. I think about Naomi when, when her daughter-in-laws are following her and she comes back to her people and they say, Naomi, she says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Naomi anymore because God has been bitter with me. God has dealt bitterly with me. You know what she's saying? God has done. God has. This is what Naomi's saying. God has done things in my life. She took, he took my husband's life and he took my two sons' life. God has dealt bitterly with me. God hurt me. That's what she's saying. God hurt me. But she kept on believing. Yes, she's hurt. Yes, her husband's dead. Yes, her two sons are dead. But she keeps believing and she keeps believing. And nobody would have ever guessed it. Nobody could have ever planned it. That God would allow Ruth to marry Boaz. And Naomi would have the joy of children again. And one of their children would be King David. 
And I don't know how God erases the sadness of a husband who passed away prematurely and two sons who passed away prematurely. I don't know how God erases that. I only know, beloved, that he can. That's all I know. He can. I know when God came against, or not God, but when Satan came against Job and his whole family, all of his kids died. How do you have joy again? How are you ever happy again after? I don't know. I don't know how you're happy. I only know God can do it. And I'm trying to tell that to some of you this morning in the midst of bitterness and hurt and pain. And you just pray and you cry and say, God, you could have done something about this. Yes, he could have. I don't understand why he didn't, but he's still going to do something. And I don't know how he can erase the pain, but he can. I don't know how he can get me through this, but he can. He's the creator. He can speak it and he does it. Oh, God, I want to believe for that. I want to see that. I want to touch that. Fight your fight of faith. There's a beautiful passage in Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about Jacob when he's at the end of his life and he's facing one of his chief trials at the end of his life. He takes his cane, he takes his rod. And and, and Hebrews 11 says, he leaned upon his rod. That rod had all the carvings of all of the acts of God in his life. He'd carved on that card, on that, on that cane or that rod where God delivered him from Esau, where God met him at Bethel, where the heavens opened up and he knew that he was at the door of heaven, where God changed him from Jacob to Israel. All of that was in that rod. And when he faced his last trial in his life, he took that rod and he leaned on it. Because he said, God, the only way I'm going to make it through this trial is believing you from all of the ones you've already brought me through. I'm going to face this in faith. And so here's David. Imagine it. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. It's a horrible sin. He murdered Uriah, her husband. It's horrible. He not only murdered Uriah, he murdered the whole platoon that served with Uriah. He killed them all to kill that one man to cover up his sin. Terrible. How does David do something like that? But he did. And so David marries Bathsheba. And now Bathsheba's pregnant. She has a baby. And the baby's sick. The baby is dying and David, in the the appearance of all of his servants, David is a basket case. He went into his chamber and the Bible says that David laid on the earth. He just laid on the ground for days. He didn't eat anything. It would just be like a limp man. His servants would come in there and they'd try to pick him up. David, you got to eat something. He wouldn't have it. Just laying here, his, his, his baby's died. And we read, why? Maybe God will heal him. Maybe God will be merciful. Maybe God will heal my baby. And so the men come in one day and they're kind of like chattering. They're talking to themselves because they're probably terrified. Oh my gosh. If David is so distraught that his baby's sick, what is, what is he going to do when we tell him that the baby died? Who's going to break this news to him? This is going to be more than he can bear. And so David picks up on it and he says, I I, I see y'all. 
is the baby dead? And they said, yes, David, your baby's died. And he gets up and he shaves and he washes himself and he gets dressed and he goes and he sits down and he eats. They're so confused. But this is the way faith lives. Faith makes no sense to anybody in the natural, but this is the way faith lives. This man knows God. This man's not hoping in a God he doesn't know. He's hoping in the God that he knows. And this is what I think is so beautiful about the story. That David doesn't go and say to Bathsheba, listen, we need to talk. Baby, God is against us. We were wrong and we had this baby and God took this baby's life. And I mean, we can't hope for anything good from God. I mean, if he took this baby's life, he's going to take the next baby's life. He's going to take the next baby's life. And, you know, he's just trying to explain this to Bathsheba, you know, like, what a collapse of faith, right? But, but, I mean, wouldn't that be reasonable? I think so. Yeah. You know, we were in sin. And God's not pleased with sin. And so, look, me and you, Bathsheba, this is all we have to look forward to is God's curse on us. But faith knows God. And David knew God. So David goes to Bathsheba and he comforted her. Bathsheba, the Lord took our baby, but I know him. He's good. He's going to be good to us, Bathsheba. We've sought the Lord. We've turned our hearts to him. We've repented of our sins. Our expectation is not going to be evil from God, but good. And he comforted her and they had the faith to have another baby. And God blessed it. It even says, and God loved Solomon. This is incredible to me. It it wasn't the fact that says, okay, I'm going to let him have a baby, you know, and, you know, just have fun with this kid. No, but it's like God, God's saying, I love Solomon. There's so many mysteries in that. So many mysteries that God had to have Solomon. He did. He had to have Solomon. It's a mystery. But Solomon's in the line of the Messiah, which was planned by God before the creation of the world. So you go figure. I, I can't. I just can't wait to understand this with God. So I ask you this. Are you going to live under the accusation of a bad God? Are you going to live in the faith that God is good and evil is not going to trace my life? And I don't know how God's going to do it, but because he's a creator, he's going to do it. And I'm going to believe him for that good when everybody tells me not to and when everybody tells me to quit and give up and everything in life tells me it is crazy to trust God now. And even when I, like Naomi, feel like God has been so hard on me, I know you. 
and your good. And only a person with the Holy Spirit on them knows that about God. You can say it, but you don't know it. That's why you can't get out of your bed. You can't get out of your room. You can't get out of your darkness. You can't get out of your emptiness. You can't get out of your meaningless because you know it in the theology, but you don't know it in the practice of the life. I'm getting out of this bed. I'm putting my feet on the floor. I'm walking through this day knowing that God is good. God is good. God is good. And I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. God forgives and God heals. Stand with me, please. God sent me here this morning for you. I mean that. I don't say that lightly. God sent me here this morning for you. Because Genesis 1 and 2 is where you are. In some way, some sort of the way, you've said, I can't, I just can't live here. Right now, you need to begin to invite the Holy Spirit to move on you. I can't do that for you. It is you as an individual who grieves him, resists him, quenches him. Or you can receive him. Move on me. I'm empty. I need help. I want to thrive. I want life. I feel like I've come to the end. I feel like there's no dreams. There's no hope. There's no light. There's no purpose. I'm distraught. Move, Holy Spirit. Move. Move on my life. Move on my family. Move on my finances. Move on my spirit. Move. I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but I just believe you're good. That's the fight of faith. I believe that you're good. I'm going to roll the stones away. I'm going to lean on my staff. You've been faithful to me. You were faithful to me yesterday. You're faithful to me today. You'll be faithful to me tomorrow. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then listen. Listen for what God's going to say to you. Don't tell God what you want. Listen to what he's going to say. Let him speak. And when God speaks, let your faith grab hold of that word and anchor in. Anchor in. Because there's going to be a process. It's going to be a process of Removing the meaninglessness and the void and the darkness. A little process. Not long. God's going to begin to fill, satisfy. Life is going to spring up where you never thought you would live again. What you dreamed for, what you dreamed for has died. Now, now you're at a place where you can live for what God has dreamed for. And his dreams are good. They always come to pass. Don't go back to your defeat. 
Don't go back to your defeat. Fight the fight of faith. Join. This is so important. Listen to me. Join the ranks. Lock arm to arm with those who are fighting for the kingdom of God. Throw yourself into the victory. Death for God is better than the slow death of misery and boredom. And God, give me this which is worthy of my life. This cause, this walk with you, this relationship with you. Don't hang out with the scorners. Don't hang out with the naysayers. Walk with the people of faith. Get into the fight like David's mighty men did. Depressed and miserable men with no purpose, but they met David. They never went back to that life because they fought for the kingdom. Fight for the kingdom. Would you draw near to this altar as though you draw near to God and would you just invite the Holy Spirit to move on you? How do you invite the Holy Spirit? I would remind you of Psalm 107. And then they cried to the Lord and the Lord heard them and the Lord delivered them out of all of their troubles. That's Psalm 107. Whatever the problem was, even if it was self-inflicted and personal sin and rebellion, when they cried to the Lord, the Lord heard them and the Lord delivered them out of all of their troubles. Begin to speak to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Preach to yourself about God right now, that God, you're good. I'm hurting, God. I'm confused. I don't see clearly, but God, you are good. You preach that to yourself. Come on. As we worship the Lord, come on. Just let the Holy Spirit move. Let the Holy Spirit move. Receive it. Pray in the Spirit. Don't pray, don't pray like a religionist. Pray like a desperate man, a desperate woman. Let the Holy Spirit move. Let Him touch you. Let Him give you hope. Let Him give you light. Isn't it wonderful that the first thing God creates is light? The first spark in you is hope. First thing he does is hope. I see God. I see. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Beloved, I shared with you about David and Bathsheba because it just seems logical that God is done with me because of sin. But that is not the truth of God. And that is not the truth of the new covenant not the truth of his love for you. Live again. You'll see his goodness. Don't expect evil from the hand of God. Expect the good.